and and war as i just i couldn't believe anybody would take the sacred lands and strip mine it and damn the uh colorado and you know uh, oh, I, you're speaking to me, brother. I do understand that motivation. We're out of time. Keith, as always, um, privileged to speak with you. The work that you do is life and death and crucial, and we appreciate the very good information. Very quickly, the phone number if people want to know more or get some food? Yeah, so you could go to food.bombs.net, and the um, phone number is one 800 884 1136 and uh, okay. I can direct you to food or to places to volunteer and things like that so thank, thank you, you Keith. So be much. safe take care talk bye to bye. you soon and that's it for flashpoints tuned in to listener-supported community radio, KBOO Portland. This is KBOO Portland, Oregon. Now I'm a farmer and I'm digging, 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 digging. Now I'm a farmer and I'm digging, 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 digging. Well, good morning. This is Glenn Andreessen here beside you now until 12 noon. And here to my right is Jim Gilbert. Morning, Glenn. <laughs> and across from us is our ace sound engineer, Joe Wilson of Bergman Productions. Bergmanproductions.com, even. We are here once again in lovely liberal, liberal Oregon. That's right. <laughs> A rarity. <laughs> Uh, both Joel and I came out this morning, and boy, there's a lot of water in them dar rivers. It's pretty amazing. 53 degrees today, too. Of course, by the time the listeners hear this, who knows what will be uh, happening. Yeah, but, yeah, that's right. We're recording on, let's see, it's the Thursday before the Wednesday. Yep. That, that this show will presumably be be played. You know, I was thinking on our, just as we were listening to our a little bit of the opening there of, of uh, our theme song, which is The Who, by the way, in a, haven't said that for a while, but uh, from the song, No, I'm a Farmer, Dig It, Dig It, Dig It. And then that just reminded me that I've been, my wife and I have been making our way through the Beatles' Get Back. And there's quite a few times when they say, dig it, dig it, mm-hmm. dig it, mm-hmm. dig it in some of their songs. And that shows up in the, in the uh, Let It Be album too. So that's just for Beatles fans, of which I am, it's a wonderful insight into how they prepare. Hey, maybe we should make a documentary of us recording this show. <laughs> that would be kind of fun. <laughs> well, hopefully we won't have to do this for the rest of our uh, career, but who knows these days? Well, yeah. Yeah. anyway, let's talk gardening. Our program, The Dirt Bag, dedicated to all things related to edible gardening. And as usual, we have a full program today. Our plant of the month is olives. Jim will be talking about that because olives can and are being grown in Oregon, even commercially now, I believe. To some degree. Yeah, yeah. to some degree. That's a good yeah. way to put it. We will also be uh, uh, ha- have a list of, of uh, some of our favorite seed and plant sources that we will 
post on the KBU website under our show notes, and it will have all the uh, how to contact them or order from them, their website particularly. We will have the answer to last week's Garden garden Stumper and a new one, both inter- interesting, we hope, as usual. We'll also talk about maybe just a, a small discussion or short discussion on hoses and watering wands. These are for the, you know, the home garden. Jim probably uses some hoses, but not as much as you probably use. How, what is your main way of irrigating, by the way? Well, in greenhouses, it's through already established uh, irrigation pipes that we uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. but we use hoses a lot. Absolutely. Okay, sure. And outside, is that do you have? Uh, how do you do that? You drip. don't have pivots. We have drip, drip irrigation, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. And some sprinklers if it's we're trying to rot our cover crop or something, but mostly drip irrigation. Okay. And then it's it's time, dormant pruning. It's here, or it's been going. Jim's probably half done with it, or maybe all done. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> the weather has not cooperated recently. <laughs> yeah, true. And our dirtbag dictionary term is auxin, A-U-X-I-N. This is a hormone and very much related to apical dominance, which we will talk about both and how they relate to pruning and tree growth. And we'll end up with, we'll give Jim more time this time for part three of the history of Oregon's land use planning laws. Sounds great. And first, or but first, what's annoying me this month? Two things. Actually, I had one thing. And then I thought, you know, this is pretty much related to that. And these are both sports related. The first is in football, the safety rule. Jim, you know what that is? Joe, you know what that is? The safety rule is when somebody, the opposing team, tackles you in your own end zone. Mm-hmm. In other words, you have 100 yards to go to, to score a touchdown, but no, they tackled you in the end zone. And the penalty for that is not only does the team that did the tackling get two points, but the team that was tackled in the end zone then has to kick the ball off to the team that got the points. It just seems like they're double penalized for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Joe seems to agree with that, but then he probably saying, I don't really care. Yeah, you know, I can think of a few other things that I could get more worked up about, but... Well, you, but, can, you, know, you can get your own list. Yeah. And I, the other thing that's related to this, I mean, only because it's sports, is in soccer. And I don't know soccer rules at all. I, don't, I think I'll go to my grave not being able to, to describe what offsides is in, penalty, in, in soccer or even hockey for that matter. Hmm. Maybe one of you guys knows. No, no, these guys don't. All right, this is just between you and me, listener. My cohorts here are out of the picture. But anyway, it's the penalty kicks to decide a game such as happened to the Portland Timbers. <clears throat> I don't know that probably anybody's real happy with the uh, how they can just award a, an, a win by a, just <clears throat> a luck of the uh, goalie diving one way rather than the other and not able to block the, the uh, shot. <clears throat> I just think they play hard for 90-plus minutes, and then it's decided on a lucky... Just luck. There's got to be a different way. Okay, gentlemen, I'm done. And, and, and Glenn, you know, I'd like to say something so okay. totally unrelated to what you said, but one of the things I've been thinking about is uh, the fact I, I feel a little lonely in this show because for two years now we've not been able to get our listeners to call in. Well, and, that's true. You know, and it, it, it makes me sad because I know that there's people out there with questions and we can't really answer them like quickly. So I, what I am hoping uh, people will do, uh, and I really want to strongly invite you listeners to do this, is to send us questions by email, and, and, and I will do my best uh, to help answer them in, 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 in real time. And if there's something we want to share with the, the listeners, uh, all the listeners, we can do it on the show next month. But y- Yes. Uh, and, the, and the email address, Glenn, is? TheDirtBag at kboo.org. And Joe has also said that if you want to have a kind of a maybe a more detailed question and you want to hear your voice on the air, 
just like a regular phone call, you can record a voicemail on your phone. There is a way to do that pretty easily. I'd have to figure it out how to do that. <laughs> but then you can send it to that same address, K, uh, thedirtbag at kboo.org. And at some point, I can't believe this is going to go on for another year. But who knows? Who knows? What, what the station policy, you know, you can't blame them for yeah. doing what we're doing. You know what? I just, I would just love to hear from any listeners that wanted to write and say hi. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, here we are. We're actually able to do this together, which was nice because, when, uh, in the, which is nice because in the past we were doing it remotely, doing this recording, and then mm -hmm. we didn't even get to be with each other. So this is a lot more fun than that. But, yeah. But still, we'd love to hear from you. Right. So once again, the dirt bag at KBOO. That also is the address to write if you have an, the answer to last week's, uh, last month's, uh, this month's puzzler. Uh, Heath from, uh, was able to, did write to us and got the answer to last month's Garden Stumper. And we'll talk about the question and the answer to that at half past the hour. Okie doke. Well, let's move on then to our plant of the month, olives. Yes, olives. And it's an interesting subject because uh, there's been a lot of interest in olives lately. Uh, we've been growing them here at the nursery for, gosh, 30 years, probably maybe more. Really? Yep. And, and, and harvesting? No. Oh, <laughs> I mean, getting some? Um, well, that's part of the, what I want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's 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 been kind of interesting to us. I, I, we really think that uh, that that there's a there's some uh, there was some grant money apparently given out for olive production in Oregon. Uh, I, I had some pr trouble with this because olives are not like a crop that is not known as elsewhere in the world. And you know, Italy and Spain and Greece and a few other countries grow a lot of olives, and there's plenty of olive oil out there. And you go to any store and find large bottles of it for a pretty reasonable price. So growing olives as a commercial crop in Oregon has always kind of puzzled me a little bit. Uh, we're we're not a climate that's really suited okay. so super suited for olives. I mean, and and uh, we're competing with a lot of other countries that have a long history and tradition and a lot of production of olives. So I'm more interested in doing it as a, as a home crop. And that's what our focus is, is trying to find mm -hmm. vari varieties that will do well here in the Willamette Valley for the home gardener. And, and so basically what I wanted to talk about today was just what we've discovered so far and what we're still working on in our own research projects with it. Um, Olives, there are uh, a lot of varieties, hundreds of varieties of olives from around the world, some grown in uh, very difficult spots in these countries that I just mentioned. And that's kind of where, you know, we've, over the years, there's a, some collections of olives, olive varieties here in the U.S., and we've brought some of those up here and are trying them out as we speak. Uh, what we look for is early ripening because that's obviously a good feature uh, in a climate that's not as warm as Italy, for example. Um, we also want varieties that uh, are reasonable size. We want something that you can, we're looking for fresh olives, not for olive oil production, because again, olive oil is a commodity and not hard to find really good quality olive oil on the market. So a large olive that you can eat fresh uh, or a, mm -hmm. off the table, we call them table olives, is what we're looking for. And winter hardiness is another issue. Uh, most olive varieties will grow okay here. When you, you get down to around 10 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, you start running into some issues and, and we have discovered eight degrees is kind of like the threshold hardiness hmm. point. And we can, hoping to find some that might be a little hardier than that, but the, that's where you're gonna start seeing significant damage if not dieback uh, at around between eight and 10 degrees. Now, that being said, up until today, which is, I think, the 6th of January, another day that will live in infamy, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, this coldest temperature we've had here at our place in the past three years is 22, which we just had a couple of days ago. Hmm. 22 degrees. I mean, that's zone nine. You know, we're not even into zone eight yet. <laughs> and, and, in the last three uh, years, really? Yeah. We've had two winters with 26, the lowest temperature, and this year, 20 so far, 22. 
So, I mean, that's sounding cold now compared to what we've had in the past years. Some years ago, we were down to five. I've actually experienced, yeah. I experienced zero here in 1989, 90. Huh. Yeah, so, at any rate, uh, you know, global uh, climate change, global warming uh, may provide a, a, an environment for more crops that want to be in a sure. warmer spot like olives. And, uh, and I encourage them to be planted on a, on a home garden basis. The, uh, a couple of other facts about olives is they're wind pollinated. So, uh -huh. so if you, and you should probably plant two, some are reputed to be self-fertile, but I think without a doubt, you will have better luck if you plant two different varieties. And when they bloom, uh, I think just to be for fun, at least the first year you have them and they're blooming, moves the, move the, move some pollen with a brush to go out and do a little olive dance and play bee. And just even if you just have one plant, you should do that. Well, if you have one plant and it's supposed to be self-fertile, that would be a good idea. Still, yeah, still a good idea. But, mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think if you best is to have two different varieties, and then you <clears throat> then you'll for sure get cross-pollination and 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 hopefully fruit set. So yeah. when you're doing the the paintbrush pollination, it's tickle one plant. Yep, and then from one, I mean, that blossom from one plant, and then. Tickle another. Go, go to the other one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, as I said, they're wind pollinated. You, so you want to plant them fairly close to each other for long-term pollination uh -huh. purposes. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, so there's uh, some wind moving pollen around. And so when you, is it similar to apples, although not wind pollinated, that if you have two varieties that are compatible, if you will, you get fruit on both? Yes. With olives? Absolutely. Uh -huh. Yeah. You know, a question I had when you were talking about table fresh or fresh or uh, table olives. Do 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 all olives need to be cured or processed before they're eaten? I mean, you can't eat one off the the bush. You know, uh, there's a, a couple of varieties that we uh, are experimenting with that, that theoretically you can eat without curing, but they haven't really borne anything yet. We haven't really had any experience with it, so. Uh, plan on curing your olives. And it's not uh, uh, particularly hard to do. The way that we've learned to do it is to uh, take a, uh, put, put your olives in a jar. And if you have a lot of olives, you can use a gallon jar. If you have a small amount, you can use a quart jar. And then, uh, you, the, but this is doing it without lye. Lye is used when you do a large scale commercial production, but mm. just doing it at home, put those olives in a jar and, and run, fill the jar with water and empty it every day for 30 days. Uh-huh. And that's, that's, that's it. That gets, that gets the bitterness out of the olive. And then you put a salt brine in, uh -huh. in, the, in probably the same jar. And uh, I was looking up today to make sure I knew the proportions, but a, a, a cup of salt to a gallon of water is a, <laughs> is a pretty good brine. And put that in, and so, and so the olives are now in a brine, and you put it in your refrigerator, and within a couple of weeks, they will be ready to eat. Does the water get progressively lighter every time you change it every day? I mean, does it soak out a lot of whatever, and or does it turn color, or is it? You don't see a lot of color change. Okay, there's a little bit maybe, but not much. All right, that's um, not what's. That's not what's. It's because it's really so. It's not really soaking out color so much as the, just there's some bitter compounds inside the olive fruit, that come out. Okay, and um, so. Uh, but it's fun. It's fun to do that, and, and then you'll have as many olives as you have. You'll you'll have them for eating uh -huh. all winter, and uh, and they're and they're good. And they're really good. The olive typically ripens, uh, are ready to pick and and brine uh, in our our place here, like November, early November, late oh, October. They're on the tree that long. They're, they they stay they'll stay on all winter, but oh. you want to pick them for brining. You want to pick them before they get soft. I see. Because the soft, okay. you can salt cure them after they get soft. I've never done that, but uh, that's another way of preserving them. But it, it's not. I, I want to eat them like like you would in a salad or something, kind of a crisp, more crisp uh, type of fruit. Huh. If you let them get soft, and they, they're soft, of course. So. Yeah. But for, it's an interesting fruit for sure, and I think uh, that that one challenge we've had here is. And well, this is actually a challenge I would I would point out to anybody who's talking about commercial growing in Oregon is how what's your crop like, because uh, the 
the few places that I've heard of growing larger quantities have not really had much in the way of production. Oh. Huh. So. And they're not hard necessarily hard to grow. No, I mean it's an yeah. evergreen. It's an evergreen plant, oh. and, and again, uh, does there's really no disease or pest problems to speak of. Hmm. So it's a pretty easy plant to to grow. And how much space would one devote to one plant? Well, they're not big. That's which is also nice. They don't at least in our climate. I've seen if you went to Italy, and people right, I'm sure. sure if a listener had been to Italy, they'd say, "Wow, I saw one that was, you know, uh, like forty feet across." But yeah. you know, that's at least a hundred years old, and and and. Typically here, I've got some not far from where we're sitting that have been out there for, gosh, five years now, and they're probably four feet tall and about as wide. Okay. So not big. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, maybe they said, you know, maybe there were some doubts about Oregon's wine industry at the beginning, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, maybe, climate change, you know, yeah. it's... Well, but I I like your your uh, su suggestion that this is probably more appropriate for home gardeners. Yeah, it's, it's certainly been my well, our, our observations, and uh, as we've you know travel around and visit other people that are that are attempting to grow them and so forth. So it's yeah. yeah. Okay, thanks, Jim. Olives. Yeah, and as I mentioned earlier, anybody that's got a question, uh, we're, yeah. we're anxious to answer them. Right there, the dirt bag at kwu.org. We'll take our first musical break here. The theme for, the, for this month is the full moon of this month is known as the wolf moon, presumably because wolves are getting hungry and so they're howling. <laughs> <laughs> Huh. I'm hungry. Oh, yeah, I know. Interesting. <laughs> but it's also known as the old moon and the ice moon. And so we have three tunes today that will cover all of those. The first being from Ronnie Earl, Ronnie Earl and the Broadcasters. This song is called Wolf Dance. actually wolf dance from Ronnie Earl. You know, I've never had a wolf out here, but we have coyotes. Uh, yeah. But, you know, they howl all the time, not just in January. <laughs> well, they're well fed then, apparently. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> okay, well, we'll uh, continue on here with our uh, some seed and plant sources. Uh, 
Mm. Jim's got a list. Jim has compiled a list that we will post once again on the Kibu uh, portion of the, uh, the the dirt bag portion of the Kibu website uh, under this show. I think that's the best place that we're going to be able to to do it. <clears throat> well, you know what inspired me to do this, Glenn, in particular, was being snowed in, almost snowed in. And I, I have fond memories of, of being in my in various cabins and places and different uh-huh. spots and looking at seed catalogs and plant catalogs. And, and, and it's just like, it just seems to come with this time of year when you, you know, you, mm-hmm. right, you're sitting around and it's cold outside and you got a fire going or sitting by the heater or something and, you know, thinking about spring. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, yeah, and so, so that it's just like you know uh, a ritual of the time, and and I, <laughs> I've discovered a couple of things. And my partner Lorraine is the gardener in the family, the gardener of veg- vegetable gardener of the family, mm-hmm. and her last name is Gardener, by the way, too, which yeah, is about that, you know, coincidental. We're gonna uh, have to call you what then, uh, Jim Gil- Gilberts Filberts. <laughs> Actually, I don't grow filberts, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, she told me about a couple of in- very interesting websites that I would encourage listeners to to take a look at, uh, where she's found a lot of a lot of seeds, a lot of seed companies are part of these organizations, developing new varieties, particularly for the Pacific Northwest. Um, one is called the the, the Cul- culinary um, culinary seed network, I believe. Yes, culinary seed network. And uh, and you can see that at culinaryseednetwork.com. And uh, again, a lot of uh, companies are involved and you can uh, find great references to seed companies there. And then the other one is the Open Source Seed Organization, which is uh, the website is ossseed.org. And uh, they're really into into uh, open pollinated seeds, not not uh, ones that are trademarked or, or patented types. Uh, so uh, to, to get good food out to everybody, they're really good, really good sources for that. And then, of course, there are Northwest Seed Companies. Uh, we'll again list all these addresses on the website. But uh, Territorial Seed Company on Cottage Grove, Nichols Seed Company uh, now in Philomath. Interestingly, that company, I actually probably went there first time in 1965 to buy seeds from Nichols. Was, is, <clears throat> excuse me, but has Nichols been sold? No. Nope. They just nope. moved their operation? They, from, they moved from, they were along, right alongside uh, I, uh, I-5. And I think the Albany property got too like expensive that. there. And so they moved oh, over okay. to Philomath. So, okay. Yeah. 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 And then uh, nurseries, of course, are uh, one here in Portland, one Green World. These are kind of like mail order nurseries I'm thinking of. Uh, you have catalogs, mailer, uh, onegreenworld.com and Burnt Ridge Nursery in Onalaska, Washington, uh, burntridgenursery.com, I believe, and Raintree Nursery. Also, all three of companies have been around for a long time. Raintree is uh, up by Morton, Washington, and uh, I believe it's raintreenursery.com. But you get- and, and these are fruit nurseries? Yep. Yep. Uh, fruiting plants. May, I don't know if it's exclusively fruiting plants but of course there's a lot of other uh, you know nurseries that will sell plants but i you know it seems like mostly they're wholesale plants and then just only sell to retail outlets you know tomato starts Mm. i mean i don't know of a company there probably is that sells tomatoes or yeah, I mean, the, the, a seed company or, you know, like does ter- Territorial sells, do they have a, for example, a retail outlet? Yes. Yeah, you can go down to, they had, they, they, they Cottage did, Grove or Eugene. Yeah, they had Cottage Grove, they had a store. Uh, Nichols has also a store. I mean, it's a, it's, it's small, but it's, a, yeah. it's definitely a store there. Okay. Uh, I was there not too long ago. Um, okay. And, well, like uh, in, in Portland, uh, it seems like most people would go to a retail nursery, and you know, most there's we have some great independently owned retail nurseries. Sure. In, in fact, I don't really know of any. I mean, you got the big box stores type thing, but all the other nurseries are, they might have more than one store, but they're still family owned for the most part. Yeah, I could tell. I could tell the listeners some terrible stories about box stores, and I really encourage you to you know patronize, stay away from those. Patronize the the local ones. That, yeah. You know, they they need your support and. And they're uh, doing a good job of getting plants out there. And, yeah. and right now, a lot of people are 
working in the garden and planting things. So don't wait too long to get your seeds or your plants because there's a lot of demand. Yeah, I mean, I've, I have shopped, uh, you know, in other, you know, national seed catalogs, you know, from Johnny's to Fedco, which is what I mostly use now. And boy, back at the beginning of the, of the pandemic, two years ago at this time, you know, the people were, or companies were just sold out of seeds. <laughs> and so like a lot of things, you snooze, you lose. Yeah. So yeah. Get it on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, spring in Oregon comes early. And and so, you know, March we'll start thinking about getting stuff in the ground. Yeah. And we'll talk about that, sure. I was disappointed to hear or read that the uh, East Multnomah Soil and Water Conservation District, who doesn't sell edible plants, but they, they canceled their plant sale, which mm-hmm. is normally in, in uh February. But it was great, you could get native plants for two or three bucks. Hmm. Hmm. They're pretty small, you know, one gallon pots, but, you know, that's part of the the, the joy of growing yeah. is to watch things yeah. change, well, get bigger and change. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm sure there's other sales that will be canceled, have been canceled and probably will be yeah. again, but hopefully when 2023. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Wouldn't that be nice? Who would have thunk? Yeah. Right. Okay, well... Let's let's go to our garden snumper. Okay, Joe is right on it there. Whew. All right. Well, we'll give you the. Uh, I'll, I'll let. Uh, we'll tell you the or the, ask you the new garden snumper, and then we'll have a somewhat good explanation on last ones because it's very interesting and it was a great garden stumper just to make people think this garden stumper and if you know the answer to this once again the dirt bag at kboo.org it's a simple one but a two-parter what is water core and what typically causes it okay so what is water core and what typically causes it the dirt bag at kboo.org for the answer to that or if you have a question about anything else please send it to us and we'll answer it and uh, in person or <laughs> via email and then uh, we'll talk about it on the next show and or if you would rather record your question you can send us a, a voicemail Record it on your phone and then send it to us at the dirt bag at kboo.org. Jim, what is the email address again? Uh, the dirt bag uh, <coughs> at kboo, kboo.org. That's it. Okay. Okay. Well, one of the things that uh, we need to talk about the answer to the garden stumper. Yes. And, uh, if you can repeat it or yeah uh, probably not exactly verbatim yeah. but so basically the question was the there's a first bit of information there's a period of time plants go through well the dormant period and in order to go through that period of time when they can they go dormant and then they sit dormant for a while and then they're ready to grow again they have to have a number of chilling hours so the time a time has to pass at a certain at certain temperature to allow the dormancy period to be fulfilled. And the question was, what temperature range qualifies for a chilling hour? Now, let me just uh, butt in here to say a little bit that we did get a couple of answers on this. The first one was a guess that most people, I think, would guess it to be. I can't remember exactly what it it was going to be, but do you remember? I have a vague recollection. I mean, it was the, yeah, like you said, it was a, a reasonable guess, but uh, but it's one of the fascinating things about chilling hours, and I'll just go ahead and, and yeah. t- basically the answer is it's between in Fahrenheit between 32 and 45 degrees. And and what's fascinating about that that chilling hours is that when you go below 32, when you go below freezing, it doesn't work, the clock stops turning, and plants. In our experience growing plants here at the nursery over the years, you know, we found that some plants that come from very cold regions of the world where you have a short fall and then it's winter and then you have a short spring and it's summer, they have short chilling hour requirements. And yeah. and so 
in our climate here in Oregon, where the temperature, as we know, is, is spends a lot of time between 32 and 45 <laughs> yeah. degrees. Usually you know, not a problem here. That, that clock just spins away and, you know, you're ready, they're ready to grow in February, you know, and, and that's not really a good time to start growing, you know, because then we're going to get, maybe get, we'll get frost and yeah. other things will happen after they start. So it's, a, it's an interesting uh, measurement and, it, and it, it is not the only apparent requirement for a plant to go through dormancy. And in and, and saying that, one of the reason I say that is because like a fig, for example, or a pineapple guava, they have a pretty short chilling hour requirement. They grow in, in pretty warm spots. Like, uh, like you know, a fig, from what I recall, is about 100 hours of chilling in order to be satisfied its dormancy requirement. But other factors are in their heat, probably, possibly even light, mm-hmm. because they don't, figs are pretty smart. They don't leaf out until well into the spring when pretty much frost danger is yeah. passed, you know? And it's really interesting. But, but basically the answer was between 32 to 45 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Does, does one of those temperatures, say 33, does that uh, kick the <laughs> clock going faster than say 44? Good question. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, probably not enough. Otherwise, they would have said 33 to 44. Or, or when they, and right. they, this is not a law by the Oregon Agricultural Department. This <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is just what researchers have determined. Yes, yes. And, and there may be, there are probably people who have investigated that yes. more, in more detail. But, but generally, the, the, the time between 32 and 45 is the, yeah. and you know, when 45 is 46 still working, you know, well, yeah. probably not, but you know, it could be a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. so, but generally speaking, that's the range. Our congratulations to Heath, who by getting the first correct answer is entitled to a free hand tool sharpening at Coley Farm Store in Northeast Portland. Yes, and I have to congratulate Heath, a dedicated listener, who also, in part, and when he answered the question, he also asked a question about propagating persimmon. Okay. Which I'm following up with him on, and uh, uh, I encourage any other listeners that have questions about or comments about plants, please let us know. Yeah, this is free advice. Yeah, we're uh, <laughs> we're we're passionate plant people. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. Okay, well, let's move on here. No, let's take our second musical break here. How about that? Uh, Let's see here. What we've got now is uh, from the old moon, the full moon in January, also known as the old moon, we have Coco Taylor. Uh, Her song, Old Woman. shame to have to turn down Coco Taylor, but we've got show to do here. That's old old woman. 
Okie doke. Well, I just thought, had this thought about, you know, do people have favorite hoses? And looked online a little bit. And boy, there's a lot more than, than I've had experience with. And I'm thinking, well, maybe if you have a favorite hose type or some type of something related to hose, let us know. The Dirtbag at KBOO.org. Uh, apparently, there's metal hoses now. Do you know that, Jim? Metal. I mean, you just buy them in 10 foot sections, rigid? <laughs> Well, that's that's called pipe. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, there. Uh, I have pictures of them here. Metal, and there's uh, you know vinyl, of course, but kinks, uh, you know, rubber hoses. Some that are pre-done. What are the the kind of the uh, expandable hoses now? You kind of seen them. They're kind of crinkly, almost fabric-like. Really, wow. but I haven't had an ex- experience with those. So, if you do have some experience and you really like a particular type. Let us know. We'd be glad to, to uh, further this discussion. Sure. I do have quite a bit of, of experience on watering wands. I mean, for the most part, I have an, an, an automated irrigation system set up for all my raised beds and mostly around my garden, and I also have gray water. But the, there's a fair amount of hand watering that I do in pots and just other things that may need a little more water or I haven't set up something yet but uh, the type of the watering wand that I like is you know oh, I don't know three or four feet uh, not four feet three feet long or something that has a hand uh, squeeze shut off a handle sh- shut off which is very uh, you can allow more water to come through less amount just exact exacting and it doesn't there's you can conf- control the flow of water such that it doesn't flood the plant or uh, f- wash soil away from the, the area or whatever. And you can turn the hose on or turn the faucet on and the water's not coming out at the end of the hose all over the place. So it's very good. Jim and I had a little pre-talk uh, on this and he, he said the, the hand... Uh, handle the handle b- broke on one and so you now you just use the little uh i don't know what you want to call this in in hose shut off yeah at the end of the hose yeah i, I agree with you though I, I mean you're you're kind of interesting me and in getting trying uh getting another one of the ones that has the handle and trying mm-hmm. it out again because uh, uh this was a few years ago when that occurred so oh you know life's too short life is too short right <laughs> no i like the idea and there's other you can you can get different heads to put on watering wands too if you want to mist or uh, something like that. I mean, I have used those in the past, or mm-hmm. you know, wash or whatever. Well, yeah, they're certainly nice if you're trying to reach into some some space sure. which you can't get to easily with you know with just the end of the hose, and, and you can get much more accurate water on the plant that way. Yeah. So once again, if you have a, f- a favorite watering wand or any type of watering device, just let us know. Mm-hmm. The dirt bag at kboo.org. Well, it's time for pruning. Yeah, you know what? I saw a funny story about pruning. Okay, I've, my friends, really close friends up in the Parkdale area above Hood River, they've had four feet of snow. Probably. Hey, they don't need ladders to prune. Well, you know what they did last year because they had so much snow is they bought snowshoes. And the crew walked around on snowshoes <laughs> pruning from the... Pruning. I, was, I was just joking, but... <laughs> no, isn't that amazing? Because they had no other way. I mean, they couldn't, they couldn't put a ladder out. Yeah, it's probably safer. Well, sure. I mean, <laughs> I thought that was... I said this year, I said, well, I'm glad you guys got those snowshoes last year, right? I mean, you, you, you still, have a, still have them. So, yeah, so they still have a lot of snow this oh, year too. They're plowing. They've been plowing for days, oh. and and so yeah, I think they had over four feet, and that's a lot of snow. Indeed. Well, so we'll have to use ladders here, or if you're like at my house, I don't. You know, my goal is to well, at least for most trees, not to have to use a ladder. And you know, I just got to say, be careful if you're using a ladder. Yeah. I mean, that's another subject with, with ladders, you know. And three, let's, let's talk about that next month because sure. uh, I have a I have a great ladder I'm willing to talk about here. Yeah, we have several here. <laughs> okay, good. Then we'll have an idea <laughs> of what. Uh, okay, ladders, February, because that's a you know that's another yeah. prime yeah 
the trees are still for the most part dormant unless, yeah. unless we have a real warm up but, there, but I just there have been friends of ours who have who have had problems fell, fallen on ladders and badly hurt themselves and so just be really careful okay so well I do most of my pruning in the summer although I do prune my fig uh, I've already pruned it this year and I kind of like doing it because with the with a battery chainsaw, small battery chainsaw, and my new ladder, it's just fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not cold. Yeah, right, and raining. <laughs> <laughs> so I've done that, but I, like I said, I've, I pruned my apples and pears, and well, well I, and then I, the cherry and the plum, I kind of do in the, the early spring. But apples and pears, I, I do that mm-hmm. uh, in the summer. But now is the time to do dormant pruning. Mm-hmm. And this is when you prune, although yeah, we don't we, we we don't we hold off on our um, the prunus peaches, nectarines, uh, plums. We wait until we have dry weather uh, oh. to, to avoid disease problems. Does that mean waiting and for how long dry? Well, well, if we're pruning um, for in our case now, we're we prune in March, or even into April. Okay, yeah. So a day or two or three of dry weather, is that what you're yeah, looking for? Yeah, yeah. I mean, good dry, nice, good dry well, weather. Well, it sounds like this weekend could be good. It's possible. Friday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday, and even into Monday. But to be safe, you know, if I, if, I had a, if I were somebody and I had apples and pears to prune and peaches, I would prune the apples and pears first and wait on the peaches just to just be out of extra caution, uh-huh. you know. My and this is for thing. disease, uh, yeah. bacterial disease. canker, spreading Which, into open wounds. Yep. yep. Wounds being the pruning cuts. Right. You can't help it. You know, if, just to, to mollify your fear of pruning, I would say it's better to err on the side of pruning than not pruning, especially in the city. I mean, if you're paralyzed by, well, oh, I just don't know what to do, your tree is still growing. <laughs> and when it gets, if it's a year gone by without pruning, then the hesitancy really ramps up because you got bigger branches and oh man how am i going to deal with those mm-hmm. so you don't and then you're i mean even a dwarf tree gets out of the range that you want it pretty quickly so just think about doing it every year yeah and there's some really basic pruning things you know you, you don't have to get too fancy with it no just opening in the plant up a bit. You don't want to, you know, you don't want to like cut the plant back to it's like two feet, two foot branches no. all around it. I mean, you got to well, have some. I'll just give you some wood, you know? some tips of what I do when I first start a, a tree. Look at the tallest branch. Say, okay, I want my tree shorter, so I'm going to cut that branch off. The question is where, and the answer is. The dirt bag at kboo.org. No, that's not it. The answer is, you, if you want your tree shorter, never cut the branch right in the middle. Always come back to a crotch. We don't have to really define crotch. It's just where the two or more branches come together. Mm-hmm. You don't have to cut it back at the first crotch. You can go past the first crotch. Go down to the second one. Because... You, when you look at the tree, you know, you want the tree to be like a haircut that, you know, well, it looks like you got it shortened, but it's not crazy. Yeah. You know, your haircut's not, you know, sort, shorter here, longer, sticking out, whatever. So once you take that back to one, you know, the first crotch or second crotch or even the third crotch, sometimes it's way down there, three feet off the ground, you know, an inner branch. Before you do any other pruning cuts, I mean, get all those branches out of there because that might take a little doing. Step back and look at the tree again. And then if you see one that's too tall, you know, for the structure of the tree, cut that one out. And then step back and assess that. We prune not necessarily for aesthetics, but for fruit production. But they're not exclusive. You can do both. And I don't like to see trees that don't look like trees. Mm-hmm. I don't mind looking, uh, I don't mind a, mind a fruit tree looking like a fruit tree that's been pruned. But, you know, it's, it should be healthy. 
And so that rule there of never cutting in the middle of a branch will do you, will, will uh, for apples and pears particularly, you can't go wrong with that mm-hmm. information. Now Good. for peaches and nectarines and other things, then you, you do want to prune sometimes in the middle of the fruiting branches just to spur new growth. I don't know, but Jim, maybe you want to say something more about that. You know, yes, I think that's that's a pretty good statement, Glenn. I mean, we, we a lot of our pruning here is done to produce wood for propagation, so we're pruning harder than we probably would if we were doing it for fruit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, uh, uh, what I what I like to do is basically just do a lot of thinning, just you know, where you've got a lot of dense growth, remove like you're talking about, yeah. take out some of the, and and that, that goes that goes right along with what I was saying about you know, looking at it and take the tallest branch out. Mm-hmm. But then it might become apparent, well, that's just the most bushy and, and now in this in this location. So, but once again, you're not gonna just cut in the middle of branches, you're gonna go back to a crotch mm-hmm. or the back two or something like that. Right, yep. Yeah, and we, and we can talk more about that as the, in our next show too. Okay, and, yeah, because we, we have more stuff to cover here today, to, yeah. today too, so. All right. Well, right along with this, the, with the pruning topic here comes our dirtbag dictionary term, which is auxin, A-U-X-I-N, which is a hormone that trees produce to give it that, just to be clear or blunt, is kind of gives trees that Christmas tree look. You know, why is the tallest tree, that, I mean, the tallest branch, the tallest branch? Yeah, but why is that? Well, that's because of this hormone, auxin that is produced by this leading branch, the central leader, if you will, and it inhibits the growth of other plants. And what this is, what this is known as is, is what is known as apical dominance. Yep. And one, one of the problems with pruning fruit trees is if you cut out that top branch, uh, maybe not a thinning cut, but rather a heading cut, that is to say, when a, a heading cut is just cutting it in the middle of the, the branch, if you will, you're getting rid of that apical dominance and you can have other than branches start growing up around it. You know, you've seen trees, I'm sure examples of this, where- Candelabra uh, effect, yes, right? that's exactly right, because yeah. there is no apical dominance to begin with because you've cut out the source of the oxen. Yeah. One of those will eventually, uh, presumably start producing more oxen and become the the, the central leader but but it is it is important that, uh, when you're trying to establish a branch structure is to uh, to remove that central leader in, a, in most mm-hmm. fruit tree pruning so you so you keep a tree that you can keep small and not yeah. you know keep, have it go wild tall and, yeah you, know. you want to be able to throw a nerf football through it that's right use a short ladder and a long ladder <laughs> That's right. Okay. Well, I want to give Jim uh, enough time here to uh, for part three of our uh, history of Oregon's land use planning here. I don't even remember where we left off. <laughs> I know yeah. we talked about Oswald West in the uh, right. you know, 1904, maybe it was. That, uh, 1913. 1913. Yeah, so it's a couple things to, that I'd like to mention. Um, first, uh, the, you and I talked a little bit before the show about watching stuff. You mentioned about watching the Beatles, yes. uh, Let It Be. And uh, I've been watching a documentary, my partner Lorena and I, and I, Joe just started watching it, called uh, Lewis and Clark. It's one of the Ken Burns documentaries. Two, uh, we, I have two DVDs. Uh, each one's about almost two hours long. And it's an amazing Documentary. I I really uh, I've watched several of his, and I think this one hmm. for me right now is the favorite. Uh, oh, it's just because it because it resonates so much with my love for Oregon and the Northwest, and and here's the here are these people, uh, tough guys, you know, thirties, forty of them who took off from the mouth of the Missouri River where it flowed into the Mississippi, and headed west into uncharted territory, literally uncharted territory, where they made maps as they went. They were they thought they were gonna find like an easy way to get to the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> Didn't work out. No. And and you know what they had to do to get to Oregon and the and the winter they spent. They sadly, I was thinking about it, we, I was in Astoria a couple of days ago actually, or last weekend, and, and I thought about how 
you know, they, they didn't get to experience an Oregon summer. No. You know, all they got was the winter. And, and, and it was a bad oh. winter I, when I we have days like yesterday. And, you know, I always refer to that as the Lewis and Clark day. That's right. Because they only had like seven or eight sunny days or non-rainy days. Well, imagine yeah. if any listener out there was wearing an elk suit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it rained, you know, for a month on them. What would happen to that elk suit? Well, <laughs> and, and, and for those who are recent, more recent to the area but have read about the York statue, <clears throat> statue that appeared in, in Mount Tabor and then disappeared, mm-hmm. you'll understand after watching this documentary who York was. Yeah, well, amazing story. Yeah. The, whole, the whole thing is just incredible. And it's, you think about it, it's uh, two, over 200 years ago when, when mm-hmm. they did this. There, none of the things that we take for granted in our lives today were present then. You know, no. I mean, you know, you, if you were to send, you could not send a letter to somebody. I mean, you couldn't do anything except survive, basically, yeah. and yeah. keep moving. And what you had for shoes were moccasins made out of deer or elk skins that you, know, you walked over sharp things. And anyway, it was. Yeah. it's a fascinating documentary. And the reason I mention it is because in my thinking about Oregon history and, and why this is such a wonderful place is because these guys went all this way to get to Oregon, to get to the Oregon Territory, where they didn't know what they were going to find. And, and it was another kind of funny thing is that the fish, in those days, the rivers were just chock full of salmon. I, I mean, everybody, I mean, the, the Native Americans ate salmon. That was a big part of their diet. The the guys from the, on the on the core of discovery they wanted to eat steak, <laughs> uh-huh. and and they were getting hungry because they 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 were sort of putting down the idea of eating fish you know which was so abundant and and yeah. uh, anyway it's kind of kind of interesting but just you know I, I thought I think about the native the Native Americans who lived here and and the the bounty that Oregon provided for them, and so about fifty years after the core of discovery came here. Europeans wa- walked across the country, and including my my ancestors, mine too, and came here and 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 discovered again, kind of discovered a place that was not well known. You know, had to find a, a place to live for spend the winter. You know, land was to be cleared, but what an incredible climate! I mean, we have this. You know, even this past summer when it got so hot, it. Uh, are uh, compared to Arizona, Southern California. I mean, we have this this breadbasket place where you can just grow all this food, and it, and it's just a, it's it's really a great great spot to grow stuff in. So, that all led into the idea of of uh, farmers, uh, particularly farmers, back in the, about ni- in the nineteen sixties, seeing the threat of suburban development encroaching on farmland. And 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 these and and farmers particularly were, were really going to arms about this because they they you know the, this great farmland was being getting started starting to get covered with houses, so that's that was uh, this is well well after we we established the beach bill which made our beaches public highways in 1913. Now we're trying to save the farmland and which is basically kind of the soul of Oregon in a way. I mean, we, we're, we're not so many Oregonians farm anymore, but uh, it's still a big part of our economy, uh, agriculture. And and, what I, and my personal feelings are when you think about climate change and stuff, we may be growing more stuff here, uh, more food mm-hmm. here than we ever have because <clears throat> places like Arizona and California, Southern California are running out of water and it's too hot. So, you know, I, I really uh, uh, think it's important that we pay attention to this. Joe and I are working on a documentary uh, to talk about the history of, of Oregon land use planning. And, and it's, a, it's an amazing story, really. And these, the people who, who fought for this and fought and fought and fought, I mean, it was not easy because after the, uh, basically 1973, Senate Bill 100 was passed. And Senate Bill 100 established this remarkable land use system where cities have boundaries around them called urban growth boundaries. And every incorporated city or town in Oregon was required to establish an urban growth boundary and to set up planning for that space. And and outside of those urban growth boundaries, if you wanted to b- expand your city, you had to go through 
a fair amount of trouble to do it. But you can imagine the pushback from from all sides that wanted to make bigger boundaries, wanted to push mm-hmm. them out. And so the battle went, the battle went on and on and on. And uh, a lot of uh, referendums and, and uh, ballot ballot measure ballot initiatives were put on the were put on the ballot, and Oregonians voted them down one by one. And so we managed to to save that hmm. that the land use system back in those days. And uh, and then that's evolved over time. And I think some people, uh, well, a lot of Oregonians, people who've lived here their whole lives, don't probably understand all of these things, but. You know, one of the very big measures that was done in fairly recent times was to say, if you want to build a house on farmland, you have to actually farm. You actually have to mm-hmm. make money and show that you're that you have made money on that farmland. You can't just go build a house and say, hey, I'm going to be a farmer. And then, you know, like my neighbor did, put a couple of emu cages up and yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's that. And you've got your big <clears throat> mansion sitting on 20 acres that's now probably never going to be farmed again. So there's more, of course, the story continues and uh, we will we we'll continue it next month. About it. Yeah. And I wanted to mention also that I have this really little brochure that I published or mm-hmm. printed a while back, and I'd love to send it to folks. And anybody that would like to get a copy of it, uh, just email me personally at jim at northwoodsnursery.com. Jim at okay. northwoodsnursery.com, and I'd be happy to send it to you by mail. Okay. <clears throat> that sounds good. Jim, thank you very much. Well, we have reached the end of our time. <clears throat> and voice apparently <laughs> we will go out with uh, last full moon uh, song called uh, the ice moon and we'll listen to ice pick by Albert Collins but we'll be back in four weeks the what day is that the 9th of February <laughs> Jim thanks a lot Joe our, in, uh, your incredible dedication to our show now is great and it's uh, Sounds good, too. I hear good feedback from listeners, too. So this is Glenn Andreessen. Be well.